This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. Hello, traders, and welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. My name is Jack Pelzer. I'm back in the country, and uh, yeah, a lot seems to have happened since I left maybe uh, 10 days ago. Uh, Dan's here as well. Hey, everybody. Jack, it's weird. The studio's uh, slightly different today. Yeah, the studio is Dan. You're at your place in Wisconsin. I'm in the uh, bedroom standing up using some of the music gear from my college band to record this. It's funny how we can uh, still make it work like this and utilizing all the old stuff that we've got laying around the house. Yeah, it's fun. I can still give promos in my college band. Uh, some things, I guess, don't change, but as far as the markets go, it seems like uh, a lot of stuff has. Uh, maybe first we'll just introduce that uh, our guest today. Dan, you had an interview with Peter Davies, correct? Absolutely. So Peter and I sat down for a little while. Um, it was great to catch up with him. We, we've known each other for a little bit of time now, and he's got a great platform. He's been around this industry for a very long time. Um, those of you that don't know who he is. He is the founder CEO of Jigsaw Trading. Now they are platform. They are indicator. Um, they are so much going on over there. Uh, it was a great conversation. And I think the best part was being able to sit down with an experienced trader like him, kind of talk about what's actually going on with these, uh, these market conditions, because it is so difficult to trade right now. Um, mm -hmm. And you got to be careful. Seems very cool. I look forward to listening to that. Yeah, just as way of introduction. So I had had a vacation plan for a long time. And I left on oh, the Thursday before last. And I had the Wi Fi on on my laptop. And while we were in the air, and I was going to the Bahamas, um, got news that the top step office would be closed down. And then it seems like within 12 hours, it was just like everything was shut down. We thought about coming back. Then we saw those uh, lines at O'Hare uh, and figured we'd just stay there. And it was nice because the island we were on didn't have any cases, and they didn't close down everything until the day before we left. So uh, I came back. It was surreal. I flew back through Fort Myers, and the flight, I was on a United flight from Fort Myers to Chicago on Saturday night. And it was about half full. It was all people getting back to Chicago, but it was still, you know, just surreal, just wild. Um, seeing that there's still, I understand that there's shortage of gear and stuff, but, you know, these poor flight attendants and everything else, you know, none of them have any masks or gloves or anything. It's pr pretty wild. It's amazing how quick this has taken over. I actually saw an interesting headline that was from back um, right around the time that uh, Kobe Bryant passed away. God, I forgot about that. Right. And so at that exact same time, there was a headline right next to that headline that was the race is on for the cure for the or vaccine for coronavirus. So, you know, in the beginning, people weren't really recognizing it as much, whereas right now, that's the headline of everything. That's all we can think about. It's completely changed and affected our lives. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully those that that are affected by it come out of this stronger. Um, you know, I just got notification that, uh, a famous islander, someone from the, a different island, um, Prince Charles, just tested positive for coronavirus. So let's uh, hope he's all right. Yeah, um, just wild stuff. And, you know, we will bring this back to the markets now. We just want to, of course, say that, you know, 
we're trying to think about everyone who's out there who's affected by this first. But I, you do have to protect what you have or what you're doing at the same time. Um, one thing, so I got back, I've been looking in this. As recording this, today is Wednesday, March, uh, what is the date, 26th? 25th. 25th. The days all blend together when I'm sitting at home. Uh, Yesterday, during the recap on Tuesday afternoon, I said, okay, I think it's March 24th. This is today a Thursday, a Wednesday, and then I had to look a little closer. It's two, It was Tuesday, so yeah, days definitely are blending. Yeah, like there's certainly all the old rules about sort of which days are more volatile are out the window. This happens to be the day where uh, it looks like the stimulus has is going to be passed. It's $2 trillion. And on that, yesterday, the stock indices were up more than 10%. And they're up again today. That actually, today's move has been somewhat surprising to me. I would agree. I think yesterday, I thought today we'd see a little bit of a sell-off. Um, Dow, I think, ended up 2,100 yesterday. Biggest day in Dow Jones history. And right now, I'm actually just looking at the S&Ps right now. Just so you guys know, we are trading at 2,510 S&P price. Um, up about 60, 60 handles, give or take. Um, what I've noted today was these markets almost seem tradable to a sense, whereas the ranges aren't, you know, S&Ps aren't pushing two, 300 points. Rather, off our lows were 120 points, but the lows created good opportunity Um, And that's what we have to look for in these markets today. And that's something Peter and I will talk about a little bit, Um, you know, finding those defined levels, those defined opportunities that you can take a trade and manage your risk in such a risky environment. Yeah. So I'm a big buy and hold guy. And in all my personal stuff, I've been, you know, buying the whole way down, but mostly trying to focus on individual stocks because it really is sort of a baby with the bathwater situation right now where so many people are liquidating. Everyone holds these indices, they're liquidating everything, and there's some good companies out there, I won't name them on here, that seem to be undervalued. And I've been doing that all the way down, but now today I took a little bit off just because... So everybody buy them, buy them, buy them, buy them. Buy them, buy them, buy them. I'm always (laughs) wrong. But I don't know if everyone... It's a weird human psychology thing where... We all know that the worst is to come and there's questions of how bad it'll be, but we can all agree the next two, three weeks at least will be worse. There's going to be more cases. Uh, The unemployment numbers are going to come out, the the, the GDP numbers in the next month. And it's kind of surprising to me that things have bounced so much given we haven't given the impact of that yet. I totally agree. I think um, it's not uh, within our thought process right now of what economic numbers are going to come out, where are people going to be thinking in two, three weeks right now, everyone's kind of focused on what's today presenting and I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Yeah. Right now I'm right there with you though, Jack, I'm thinking about GDP. I'm thinking about unemployment. I saw a stat or um, a speculator yesterday was talking that by end of 2020, so December 2020's unemployment number, they are saying it could be as high as 9%, um, even higher. And that was kind of an eye-awakening moment for me to hear someone talking about the effects that this is going to have at the end of this year. I've been, I guess, just trying to stay optimistic and thinking, you know, by summertime, we're going to be back to normal. People are going to be working again. 
are going to be back in the office, but we can't really make that speculation at this point until uh, we see things start to turn around. Yeah. And one last thing, you know, I've been out for the last two podcasts or whatever, so I have a lot to say, but I'll get, you know, we'll keep this <laughs> intro short for those that don't like the intro. The last thing, I, I wonder how much of the buying in recent days has to do with portfolio rebalancing of pensions, retirement funds, things that have to have a certain ratio of stocks versus bonds. And the bonds have far, like it's the end of the quarter, the bonds have far overperformed, the equities have gotten smashed to rebalance to whatever they're supposed to do. They're going to have to buy a lot of equities. I couldn't agree more. But the one thing I was seeing all of last week um, and the week before was money coming out of the markets across the board. We saw gold tank um, other than treasuries. Treasuries were the only thing holding up because you got some guarantee there. Um, but we saw gold tanking, equities tanking. And finally, to see gold start to surge earlier this week um, and end of last week, I think it was, kind of created a little bit of hope to me that, okay, the outflow of money has kind of slowed and now we're seeing money flowing back into the markets. That gave me that little bit of slight hope that maybe we're going to start to see things turn around a little bit. I can honest to God say right now, I'm so relieved to see equities at least slowing up just slightly here today. Um, if anything, it's just creating a little bit of opportunity and things to be looking for in these markets for me. Yeah, well, that's great. And I'm sure you and Peter are going to have a great time talking about that. Um yeah, that's all I have for now. So everybody out there, stay safe, uh, wash your hands, and be careful out there in the markets. Hey, everybody. Uh, Peter Davies sitting down with me here today. I'm really excited. Peter Davies is the CEO of Jigsaw Trading. I know a lot of you guys are using Jigsaw. So Peter, thank you for being here. Oh, no worries. So tell us a little bit about exactly what Jigsaw is and uh, what kind of got you into this industry. Okay, so um, it's kind of a well-known story what got me into this at first. Um, I was um, an expat. We just spoke actually before we started recording. I used to live in Japan. I did a lot. I was a self-employed consultant, worked all over uh, US, Europe, Japan, a lot of Asia, and uh, managed to amass quite a lot of money doing that. Uh, but I had no idea about investing. And um, so I put my faith in uh, people just before the dot-com boom and um, ended up losing about 30% of my net worth. And uh, I remember I had a meeting with um, my financial advisor. And it's like, I was like most people, completely green. I had no idea. I knew that I needed a pension, but I had no idea what to do with it. And then I met my financial advisor after he'd lost 30% of my net worth. And he sat down and said, look, this is how we're going to get your money back. He said, what we're going to do, we're going to leverage your existing investments. And I know that kind of, I was stupid, but I wasn't that stupid, right? And he said, we're going to leverage your existing investments. And he said, to get back what you've lost, we'll only actually need to make 10% in the year on that leverage investment. And I said to him, well, okay, fair enough. You're on, you've only got to make 10%. How exactly are they going to make 10%? And he said, well, given the freedom these guys have got to invest, he said, any decent manager can make 10% in a year. And this guy just looked at him and said, well, can you explain to me how I just lost 30% in the last year? And he had no answer for that. And I knew he had no answer. I'd already decided. And I said, look, sell everything. I said, I just can't trust you. You know, you, what, you, you know you, you, you're telling me to borrow money now. You know, I'm already in the hole. Now you're telling me to borrow money. And then I just started to look at investing, did a lot of the things that, that most people do. I made a lot of the mistakes that most people do. But 
because I had a technical background, I could actually really quickly backtest ideas. And one of the one of the big things that hit me is there was a book um, that everybody on all the internet trading forums was raving about. And this book detailed like seven different mechanical strategies that were like absolutely fantastic. Everyone said how great these things were. So I went through and I coded up every one of those technical strategies. And they were all- In which book was this? I'm not going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say the, the guy's pretty famous. And, um, and so I coded all these things up and uh, none of them worked. And, and so I was, I, was, I was fairly new to the game. I was looking at these internet forums. Trade to Win was the one I was on in a UK-based forum. Everybody was raving about this, but nothing in there actually worked. And so what I did, I thought, well, this is ridiculous. You know, there's obviously, you know, I already came in not trusting anything, you know, so that was a really good grounding, losing that money first, because I didn't trust anything. And then the things I did test, I could see were wrong. And I just thought, well, this is ridiculous. Um, and I was lucky I was running a company in Thailand and another company in Singapore at the time. So I was in Singapore a lot and I just started to go to networking events in Singapore. Um, so if you got, if anybody knows Singapore, you know, the, the Penny Black, that area is where the financial area is in, in Singapore. And I uh, started to go to networking events. And normally when I'd meet financial people at networking events, I'd just do what most people do is just turn the lights off and just, you know, just go to sleep. Instead of that, I actually started to listen to what they were saying. And I actually asked and I met traders. I met a guy who worked for Royal Bank of Scotland, writing barrier options for big barrier options for Forex. Uh, he'd retired at 35 just, and it, it, he wasn't doing anything that I could do at home, but I just met a lot of people and then started to meet some of the people in prop firms and then actually started to understand what they were actually doing. Because what I found with those people, they weren't, I, I expected it all to be about secrets and I'd have to have some magical handshake with these guys before they tell me anything, but they would just do a complete brain dump on me. They would just tell me everything because nobody else would listen. And I've found since that, you know, whenever you go, if you ever go out and you're at a party and you say, you know, somebody says, what do you do? And you say, I'm, I'm trading. They're just like, oh, is that the time? And they disappear. <laughs> you know? so like, and I think that was it with these guys is that nobody listened to them before. I write, it's funny how traders, when you get a trader going, they'll go on for hours and hours because no one else wants to listen until you find, once you find someone that's willing to listen to you, yep. man, we can go for days. Absolutely. So I, you know, so I started to listen to those guys effectively. And that's how I got into, you know, the style of trading that, that I kind of focus on. And, and Jigsaw was really just an extension of that. I, I knew what I had to do, what I had to read in terms of, you know, looking at the market action. And I just didn't like the tools that were out there. Um, and so basically, I just thought I could do a better job. And so what I did, I actually developed some tools, which is pretty much two yogurt pots and a piece of string. <laughs> it was actually, I had some stuff in Ninja Trader posting data to Excel and it was like a depth of market, but it was all in Excel and it was really clunky. And, um, but I, I did my own design of the depth of market and, uh, I shared that with a few friends and a few friends said, you know, oh, you should go commercial with that. And I thought, well, you know, why not? So I, I paid a developer to develop it. And then we kind of, then we ended up here, then we ended up where we are. And it's, you know, it's, um, you know, we've come a long way starting in 2011 um, I always said we'd never make it a full trading platform when we did. And I, I said, we wouldn't do that. And we did this. I said, we wouldn't make it a charting platform. And that's coming out in a couple of months. Um, so really the, the whole jigsaw thing started off as like, it started off as something for me. And then it started off as like, well, let's just put this out there as like a hobby thing. 
And then it just became, you know, a, a fairly, you know, a decent medium sized um, business. Absolutely. It's funny how those things can snowball. Yeah, it's just, you know, you start something, you never know where it's going to go. You know, you could you could look back and say that this is what you planned all along. But I'd <laughs> definitely be lying if I said that. Absolutely. So now we've got Jigsaw going. How is this all developing through the time? So we you launched it in 2011. Obviously, we were in a – markets were in a different state back in 2011 than, say, today. How has it adjusted and kind of grown from there? the uh the indicator itself well it's 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 more than an indicator right now it's a, it's a it's a full-blown trading platform um i mean in terms of the terms of the techniques the techniques haven't really changed that much um since 2011 really um the volatility just can just cycles up and down all the time so you know re- kind of a, a real peak of volatility um you know way way more than 2008 at the moment and so what we just see is, you know, if, I've, I've been in this since I think I first started out trading futures in 2005. And you just see everything you see is, is new to a lot of people, but you've seen it before. So we just keep cycling up and down, cycling up and down in terms of volatility. So now you've got 10, 20 contracts on each level um, on the dough and the market in uh, the S&P. And, you know, in 2011, it would have been 1,000 at each level. And it's gone down to 300, and then it's been 600, then it's been 1100, and it just like, it just cycles up and down. So we just go through all these different states of the market. And I think that's one of the benefits of having watched the markets for a while is that you get that experience in seeing things cycle up and down. And you, you know, you don't go, you know, don't try and do the wrong thing at the wrong time. Um, you know, when the volatility cycles up, you know, you've got to change your game. When the volatility cycles down, as it has tended to do in the summertime and, and Christmas, um, you know you've got to change your game then as well. Um, so I don't think the markets have changed overall. We've we've had a lot of stuff. People talk about HFTs. We've had a big wave of HFTs coming into the markets, mostly stocks. Um, from the futures perspective, that's pretty much died out now. We don't see the same opportunities. You know, we saw a lot of people come into the market. A lot of HFT firms have now got gone out of business. You know, because they were all coming in, a lot of investment, you know, to a lot of investment money coming into HFT firms, a lot of people going into the space like any new industry and then falling to the wayside. And, um, you know, and it's just it's just more of that cycle up and down. Um, people tend to worry more about different things as you go. So people now blame HFTs for every losing trade um, without realizing that HFT activities really died down in the futures markets. And a lot of stock markets. I mean, there was a, there was a time I can't even remember which year when I was um, trading um, stocks like Citibank and Bank of America, and they were they were priced down at three dollars. And you'd see like a billion shares trade uh, in that one equity, and it was just HFT rebate trading. And that and the, then what they do, Citibank and Bank of America, they had to keep doing these reverse splits to pump up their their price to make it too expensive for that kind of trading. But I don't even, I'm not even aware that that actually goes on anymore. Um, so you see kind of things come and go and different reasons people have for losing money. Um, but really the, the kind of macro picture is that, you know, various things are happening in the markets that either scare people and it scares away the market makers or it brings the market makers back in and we just cycle up and down in volatility. And if you can just keep your eye on that, 
and understand that that's going to affect the opportunity that comes into the market. Um, you know, that's that's half the battle. More than more than setups, I would say. You know, just being aware of what's what's actually moving the market or what's not moving the market. Um, that's that's really half the battle with trading. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. You know, we're talking a lot about volatility here. And um, right now, you know, volatility is the name of the game. Um, that's what all these markets are doing. I think I saw bonds yesterday down 10 handles. I mean, these things are just moving. Um, as we kind of move forward here, what are you going to be looking for in these markets? Um, what are going to be some indication that maybe net volatility is going to start to slow down? Um, well, it'll be, we're in a news driven panic. So, you know, news is one of the big drivers of, um, opportunity in the market. So, you know, one of the things that we kind of don't think about so much is that when you've got institutions coming into the market, uh, you've got a lot of volume and you've got a lot of volume that actually needs to execute and they need somebody on the other side of those trades and they're quite willing to give up the spread. Um, to get into and out of their trades. And when you've got that kind of healthy environment with the markets really moving, that's the environment you can make money in. Now, when you've got too much of that, everybody runs out of the way. And then you've kind of got, you've almost got an excess of opportunity where there's, there's, there's lots of opportunities to make money, but there's equally lots and lots and lots of opportunity to lose it. And I think, at, I think at the moment, obviously we're in a scenario where, I mean, I, I, one of the guys I was talking to the other week, he's actually scalping the two-year treasury, which is like ludicrous, right? But, I, you know, looking at it now, it's got like 100 on each level, where usually it's two or 3,000. Right. And, and that's looking like right, one of the thicker markets out there. You look at NASDAQ, you, it, it's like, oh, a little bit, of, little bit of safety here. Yeah, that and the euro stocks are some of the, you know, the two thickest markets. And so even that's gone really thin. So... What it, all it will take basically is for us to have a little bit more certainty. And I think when there's a little bit more certainty about how this is all going to play out overall, um, because if you think about it, where we're at right now, my kids are off school. Um, I'm supposed to be going on holiday to the UK in July. Not sure if that's going to happen. Um, airlines are going to be losing money, looking for bailouts. That's one of the first shoes to drop. But other businesses as well, you know, like restaurants, um, they're closed down. Uh, they're not going to be making money. They're going to be struggling to pay people. All the people that work at those restaurants are all going to be struggling. Supermarkets, I don't know if they're going to stay open in the same format. So it's really difficult to see how this is going to affect long term, whether we're going to have a corporate debt problem. Because people have been talking about a corporate debt bubble. And if these corporations can't make money, I mean, even Amazon, I've heard that Amazon is stopping delivering. I mean, we're getting to a point right now where you know, the short term effect is markets are being hit and people are going to be out of work for the next, you know, possible two weeks. But that question, like you said, long term, what's the macro view here? Where does this thing really, where's the toll going to take and how long can we, you know, how long is it going to take to recover? We already know GDPs are going to be hit. We know everything's going to start to get hit really fast. You know, it, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough time for the next quite a few months, even possibly a year. Yeah, and you don't know what what the the trigger point is for some cascade of bankruptcies. You know, if there's going to be some like moratorium on corporate debt, which I, I would imagine the banks are going to have to um, be giving debt relief. Um, maybe you know we can just halt the interest rates. I mean, well, the interest rates are at zero now, but like you know, maybe say to people, well, we're going to put your loans on hold and not charge you any more interest, even though you're not paying. That kind of thing, because companies are going to go out of business. And then the banks aren't going to get paid anyway. Um, so it's just a matter of how long are we going to keep 
um, businesses close down and what's going to be like the trigger point for a you know, one series of businesses going out of bankrupt, which could then knock on to another series of businesses, you know, like hotels, airlines, restaurants, all those people earning money from those places. If they're not earning, they're not going to be spending. Um, we've seen some of the big uh, consumer companies like Amazon. If they're not, if they're going to stop delivery, obviously people can't spend there either. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting. And, and I think until there's like a, a light at the end of the tunnel, I think people are still going to panic. But I, to, I also think the... The kind of um, the, the Fed the other day cut in 100 basis points off interest rates. It looks so desperate that I think that made people panic more. I, I would agree. We had the rate cut two weeks ago that did the had the opposite effect. I even I, you know I wrote an article about it saying this is going to cause more panic and fear because we are expecting a rate cut in two weeks um, Sunday night to see them cut down to zero when we're three days away from an FOMC statement where they're going to come out and talk about rate cuts anyhow ignites more panic and fear. Absolutely. And I think that to me is one of my biggest concerns because I sit here, I'm the eternal optimist when it comes to a lot of these markets. You know, I, I expect to see equities rebound. I feel like I take a physical and emotional toll when we have one of these big down days. Um, and then the opposite, on the flip side, when we have a big up day, you know, it feels like a win for me. And watching uh, watching what's happening right now is definitely – kind of it's getting to a point of a little bit concerning yeah but i think also it'll get to also we'll get to a point with the prices though when it just becomes obvious that it's been an overreaction so we've gone from i'm not sure what the high of the s p futures was it was around 35 3600 i believe we're about, so we're about 23 now you know anything below 2000 you've got to say you know if, if you've got a bit of money and you've got the time to hang on you know, it. it's not a bad bet, is it? You know, if <laughs> we, if we get so. to 2000. So um, I already bought some options, some call options, January to uh, 2021. Call options on the way down. I might extend that out a little bit more. I don't know. Um, but I'm going to carry on buying those on the way down. I think that makes both of us. I'm I'm starting to load up on everything. I, I got out a little while ago, back in. This is great opportunities. Yeah, I think so. But I mean, as long as you... I think I think the key is to not put yourself in a situation where, you know, you're overcommitted to it or that you can't sit on it for a while. Because, you know, worst case scenario, we could beat these prices for 10 years, right? That's your worst case scenario. That's a great point. Let me ask you this. When you look at the markets and everything that's going on right now, how do you establish your risk? How, how, how would you recommend other people out there look at this from a risk standpoint? Well, I think, I mean, for me, I'm I'm a day trader, but I'm not day trading at the moment. Um, I've done some trading around the spread on the options because I was in the options anyway and I could, you know, I could trade around my positions. And there's some great spreads. It's like $2 spread on some of the options. And so if you can get, um, if you can get in, into a range bound market and, and, and take advantage of some of those spreads, it's a really good trade. But in terms of risk, I mean, you can't, well, nobody, I mean, the thing is, it's, it's, you've got to get into positions you can stick with for a long time. So you can't go all in. And I think you've got to, there's no way you're going to be able to tell where the bottom is. So the the risk with watching a market like this go down is that you miss out on the opportunity if you try and get in in one place, you know, if you wait for the bottom. Because I've been seeing articles calling for the bottom since day four of the turn down, right? I saw one today, you know, there's one in Barron's. I mean, it was, it was just, it was absolutely ludicrous. It, it actually had three different bottoms in one article. Three different prices that were calling the bottom in one article. And by the time I read it, it had gone past all three of them. 
Um, so I think you've got to acknowledge that, you know, there's always somebody after the event that called the bottom, right? I mean, if you look back at, oh, was it two, what was it, 2008 when we hit the bottom or whatever, 2009, the bottom was 666, 666 on the futures. And you look back and say, God, why didn't I buy that? That was, you know, it's just like, it was down to 600, <laughs> nearly 600. Why didn't I buy that? And back in those days, I didn't, you know, it just wasn't, I just didn't, you know, I was hiding like everybody else. You're more focused on that big picture. Where, what's happening and, and how much further can this go? And where's, you know, where do I stand in this whole situation? Yeah. I mean, I think if you're in cash, you know, being in cash isn't going to do you any good. And if you can't pick the bottom, the best, the only thing you can do is try and get in a little bit at a time on the way down. And then just, you know, just keeping a powder in your gun that you don't get in too high up. But I think, I think now, you know, where we are now, like 2300. That's a decent price for a long-term investment. Um, you know, if you get into the spy, I mean, if, if we, I'd be surprised if we didn't go up past that in 10 years, but you know, but so, and that's a long-term investment. Um, and if you want to, you can, you know, like I'm doing with some of the position using options. So I'm a bit more leveraged and like looking out maybe to January next year, uh, for a rebound, but not like a rebound to 30, you know, three and a half thousand. Um, you know, but just, just a bit of a rebound. So, um, you know, you can't advise people what to do, but you can just, having been through the couple of these, it's really tough to pick the bottom and everybody's talking about the bottom all the way down. Everyone's talking about the bottom and you know what? The last people to talk about the bottom will be right. They will. And they'll make sure every single person knows about it. Exactly. But you know, if you, if you've been around a while, I mean, Peter Schiff, has been talking, has been predicting like a crash of the US economy, monetary system, since the year 2000. He's been doing that for 20 years. He was right twice. <laughs> yeah, well, it bounced back though, so he wasn't really right, was he? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So you make a really good point here, and I, I want to make sure everyone hears this. Right now, the risk is really high, and it's hard to day trade. We have to be coming at this from an investing standpoint, thinking long-term. Uh, I just wanted to make sure everyone is kind of recognizing that because from a day trading standpoint, no matter which of these markets you're trading, whether you're trading crude oil, which is trading, I think last I looked was 27. I don't know where it, it probably has changed in the last half hour, 45 minutes. But the volatility in all of these markets makes this idea of risk management and day trading extremely difficult. Yeah, Absolutely. Right. And so I think that's one of the biggest things we have to be thinking about. So let's uh, kind of shift here a little bit. I want to talk about Jigsaw and everything that, that you guys have going on over there because it's such an exciting thing to watch. I know a lot of our traders here use it. I know I've dabbled with it a little bit. Um, can you just kind of give us a little brief synopsis of what we should be looking for when it comes to Jigsaw? Yeah, basically. So I got into this uh, this style of trading through meeting prop traders. And what prop traders are effectively trying to do, they're trying to figure out where there's a, there's a couple of scenarios I look for. One of them is trying to figure out where there's lines in the sand in the market, where if we go past a certain point, a whole bunch of traders are going to bail out. So they're looking for reaction points. And typically, you've got two main things that you look at when you're looking at order flow. You're looking at where trading took place, which is really your, your volume profiles. And we've got something we call current, current trades in Jigsaw that does that. 
So you've got where trading took place and then you've got the, the, the depth of market where the bids and offers are, right? And there's this big hoo-ha about depth of market nowadays, but depth of market is about 10% of the significance of what's going on. 90% of the significance of what's going on is where people are positioned already. It doesn't really matter so much where the bids and offers are. It's kind of like a, a bit of icing on the, t on, the, on the top of your cake or look, your little cherry on the top of the cake, the depth of market. But the main thing you want to know is where are people positioned? And, and so you can see, you might see a little trading range and you've got 30,000 contracts trading in that trading range. You don't know that all 30,000 of them are going to be short-term traders. So you might say from the 30,000 positions there, there might be 10,000 that are short-term directional. There might be 10,000 that are spread traders that don't really care which direction the market goes in as long as their spread it works out. And there might be 10,000 that are long-term traders. Well, from the 30,000, even, even if you know only 10,000, 30% of them are going to react in the short term, they're the ones that are going to cause the move in the market. So you can kind of make this assumption or presumption that when you see an area of volume, that it's the short-term traders in that volume area that are going to react in the short term. They're the ones that are going to give you the move, right? So you can kind of say, well, I'll just presume that they're all short-term, right? So you can take things like areas in the volume profile and you can make some assumptions. You can make some assumptions like if, you know, I've got 30,000 contracts trading in an area, when I push out from one side, I'm going to get a stop run. And you can know what that stop run is going to look like. And then quite often what will happen is if you've got that chunk of volume where you have that 30,000 people trade and you push out to the upside and you've got a stop run to the upside and you fall back to that area, you quite often fall back right to the top of that high volume area and it won't go down anymore. And like you think, well, why did it not go into that? And the simple answer is a whole bunch of people that were short lost money there. And it's like, it's like seeing the same horse run two rates, races in a row and it, and it falls in the first race you're not going to put money on it in the second race. And it's the same kind of thing. It's just like in the short term, there's a very good chance that short-term traders aren't going to go short there again because they're just lost in that area. So it's thinking of the market in those kind of terms. And then also looking at things like um, pure volume moves, pure momentum moves. Like, for instance, if you've got like um, a news announcement, um, an economic announcement, FOMC, um, some moves that are news-generated, just create a massive momentum. And sometimes the order flow is just a matter of simply jumping on board that momentum. And again, we, you know, one of the things that Jigsaw does, it gives you the tools to read that. And then one of the other parts is kind of the opposite of that. You know, you might open up on a day where there's no news going into the day. It's a Friday, which is traditionally a slower day. And you know what? There's just not a lot going on. And you can see in the order flow, there's not a lot going on. And what a lot of people will do They've got this vision of trading being, they hear this thing, um, one setup for all markets, all time frames, and all conditions. They've got this idea that that's what trading is. And so you'll get a slow day like that where the market's really slow and you'll have a few tries at trading the market. And each time you get it, you just, you either get a little a tick or two or you lose a little bit. And, and in the end, you end up down. You know, you might end up down like a few hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or whatever. And that's basically the market telegraphing to you that actually today there is no opportunity. There is no institutional activity. It's just a slow day. It's just a bunch of day traders trying to make money off each other. Now, when you hit that loss, 
And a lot of prop traders I know will have losing days like that. I know guys who have made a million dollars day trading in a day, and they will still have days where they lose three or $4,000. And they will take that three or $4,000 loss and say, you know what? It's just not going to happen today. And they'll go to the gym or, or you know, or they may be come back later because of an announcement. What your retail trader will do after that little loss, he'll try and make it back. And it's like you're literally, the market's just told you by the, you know, you've had some tries. The market's told you, you know what, the, the opportunity isn't there today. And then you try and make that loss back. And there is only one possible outcome when you try and make your losses back when there's no opportunity there. And that's you're going to just give money to the market. And that's one of the things that you've got to be looking for in order flow is whether it's looking for opportunity, you've got to be looking for lack of opportunity which is a combination of different skills. It's a combination of understanding the news, the trading environment we're in, what days of, you know, what days of the week are slow, what hours of the day are slow, and then actually reading the market and, and getting that feedback. You know, like you get into a long position and it ticks up two ticks and falls back and it goes two ticks your way and falls back. And there's just no, nothing there in the market. Um, it's just being able to read that and react to it and, and just be able to turn off for the day. It's one of the biggest skills. One of the things I see... Uh, on days like that and on days like these crazy days that we got today is that some people just want to trade. They don't want to turn off. They think if they're not clicking buy and sell, that they're not doing anything and they can't get that not trading is as big a decision as, as making new trades. And, um, you know, so what we try and do at Jigsaw, we've got tools, but we've also got education where we try and we try and teach people these concepts. You know, there is an opportunity every day. Sometimes it's too wild. Sometimes it's too slow. You know, you've got to focus on making money when the opportunity is there. And when it's not there, just sitting there clicking buy and sell on a SIM account, it's, it's not going to do you any good. It, it's, it's not a positive activity. It's just going to all you're going to do if you sit there on your SIM account on those days is just build up this real, uh, build up the feeling that you're an idiot because everything you do is going to go wrong, you know, because it's just one of those days. Right, because you stayed out of the market strictly because it was not a market environment that was suitable to you as a trader. So what's the point of going into sim and trying to trade a market that was not suitable for you to make money? And that's always been one of my biggest, my struggles with this. But I want to highlight something you said there. So I've been around this industry since I was a little kid. I grew up in the 30-year option pit. And um, my dad always told me, I started working for him when I was about 15 years old. So my dad always told me, you have to be there to make money. And to me, it always just was like, well, you got to get on every opportunity. If the market moves, you got to be there. And as I kind of started to evolve and develop as a trader, I started to learn the mere fact that you have to be there for the moves. But you don't have to be there to actually trade. There were days I, when I was on the floor or even in the prop firm, I'd sit around and like you said, you know, you'd lose a little bit in the morning. You'd step away and go, not my environment right now, but there's an auction coming at one o'clock. I'm going to be there for the auction and maybe I'll find some opportunity. And I look for, you have to go and you look for opportunity then and there. If you can make it in that auction, I can't tell you many times I, I showed up in the morning, you know, lost a little bit. I left for the gym, like you were saying, and you come back for that one o'clock auction you knock it out and you make your week in 35 minutes. And because it was all because you stepped away, you had you keep pushing, you probably wouldn't be set up to be able to trade that afternoon. Yeah, you'd be exhausted for a start. Um, Absolutely. And plus your mindset would be dreadful if you just like, if you'd like hacked away at your account and lost, you know, had some losses and you just wouldn't be in the right set frame of mind for it. 
Absolutely not. So with everything you've got going on with Jigsaw here, um, I'm curious, how well does this work across all markets? Because I know we have traders trading pretty much every futures market you can think of. Is there one market that you would say ideal for this or it's pretty consistent across? I think what um, what I've seen is that is that different personality types gravitate towards different markets. Um, so I know quite a few traders who just they they're really dynamic and energetic and want to be in a trade and they trade Nasdaq. And um, I I just I just can't understand and they're just and they're just trading it swinging up and down and swinging up and down and they're getting into the flow of the the way it's swinging up and down. And they're just catching the, it's like catching the waves in NASDAQ. Um, you put somebody like that in front of um, the, the treasuries, um, they're going to be, they're going to be bored and they're going to be wanting to take a trade. Um, I know other people are really laid back. There's a guy called John Grady who has um, got a, a site called No BS Day Trading. He's yep. so laid back, right? And he's very typical of the kind of guy who trades interest rates. And so, I think it's not so much which product works with the tools best. It's just which kind of product do you do you trade best? Um, so if you trade like um, if you want to take a long time to make a decision, you trade the two year, trade the 10 year. Right. That's going to give you time to make a decision. If you want to be in and out, in and out, in and out, then trade the Nasdaq. Um, but I, I there's people, there's customers of mine that use the tools in ways that I couldn't. I, I don't trade the Nasdaq. I mean, I've done it a couple of times, but it's just not my thing at all. I've lost enough hair as it is. I can't yeah, stay, exactly. stay away it, from that one. It's really fun. I mean, we've got guys who trade the DAX as well. Um, even guys trading HSI in Hong Kong. Um, that's really that's really mental. <laughs> it's really, I mean, it's going to be some interesting <laughs> market to trade, but it's trading one at most levels. You know, it's oh. up and down, up and down. And um, But their guys, they just like to be in and out, in and out, and they've got a way of going with the flow. Uh, and getting a decent price, and that's all they do. But um, but yeah, I like a moderately paced market personally, and uh, that's kind of where my comfort zone. And if you look at the videos that we put out, most of them are kind of centered around moderately paced markets um, and not really fast markets, just because it's my preference and that's what I know. Yeah, absolutely. I I think at the end of the day, I I I love the kind the way you look at it here. Everyone has a different personality when it comes to these markets. It's kind of amazing how you can kind of look at a person, get to know them, and pretty quickly you can say, I've gotten to know you. I know what market's going to work for you. You know, you're fast. You drink a lot of coffee. Go look at NASDAQ. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're pretty laid back and relaxed and comfortable. Treasuries are probably going to be your route. Um, I I started – I was treasuries my whole life. I traded interest – I traded the yield spreads. I, I kind of traded a little bit of everything when it came to treasuries. And so uh, when I started – trading on my own and thinking, okay, I don't have the capital to trade treasury yields because, well, you needed a little bigger margins. So I started looking around and I saw crude oil. I was like, oh, crude oil could be fun. And I started seeing how fast that thing moved. And it was mind boggling when you're watching that move. And now looking at how these markets are moving, it's exhausting. It's a lot of work to keep up with them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's moving around too much to really get a good read. It is, you know, but, uh, but there are, the, like I say, the options, the options, like the options on SPY are quite interesting. Um, you know, if you can, if you can get in on the spread, uh, getting on the right side of the spread, 
Um, you know, um, that, that's definitely an interesting trade. And uh, I've been playing with that a little bit. But, you know, lo- looking at the S&P, you know, if I trade the S&P like this, whether I'm up or down, just simply depends on what happened on the last trade. It'll be up, down, up, down, up, <laughs> down. Right. I've tried to dabble with it lately, and it, it's just gotten so fast. You can you can be in the money really, really quickly, and by the time you go to click exit position, it's gone against you. It's well, so I, fast right yeah, now. I had a day where I dabbled with it, and I was I made six hundred dollars, but my commissions were five hundred. <laughs> but it was actually six hundred after commission. It was six hundred after commissions. Okay. But I, I wrapped up five hundred in commissions because I was just going profit loss, profit loss. It was just it was just a, it was like a plain space invaders. It wasn't anything like I like I. It wasn't trading as I know it, and I was just basically playing space invaders with the market, and I just turned off. I just turned off on one of the upturns. You know, I was I was going. You know, so it's like saying you're profitable as your last trade, as far as I'm concerned in this market. It's funny you say that. I was uh, our founder Michael Patak and I were trading last week a little bit. We were kind of bouncing ideas off of each other and. I send him a message and I was like, okay, I think this is a good opportunity. So he picks one up. S&P goes, I think, 40 handles in his favor. And I sent him a message. I go, did you lock that in? And he goes, nope, it came against me already. <laughs> and uh, he locked in. Like, I think he got like two or 300 bucks out of the trade. And uh, I was like, well, you know what? In markets like this, if you can walk away with two or 300 bucks, that's a good day in my opinion. I know a lot of people want to take advantage of the volatility here. But my question is, these are not markets we've ever really seen much of. Um, you know, I wasn't around in the 87 crash. I was not there to take advantage of those or be a part of that, op- what happened there. And so no one has a strategy for these conditions. We're all kind of, as they say, building the plane in the air, trying to learn how to trade them as they go. And for me, my biggest concern is with a lot of new traders out there, they are starting to kind of think that they're developing a strategy for these conditions that once we get back to the norm, when that will be, I don't know. Um, But I'm worried that they're going to start to think, oh, well, it worked then. It's going to work now. I'm used to seeing $1,000, $2,000 swings per contract. That should be totally fine now when we get back to ranging, you know, 40 points in the S&Ps. Yeah, which is still a big day. You know, right. I mean, to go back, going back, I remember like a fifteen point day was a ten point, fifteen point day was decent. Um, but I, I talk to I talk to traders, and I've got traders. There's a few traders that I mentor, and um, a couple of them. I'm sa- I said to them, "Why are you still trading in this?" And this, they're saying, "Well, it's for the experience." And I'm like, "But what's the experience? You're like learning to surf in a hurricane. I mean, it's like a hundred year storm. It's not going to happen again. It won't happen again for it could might not happen again for thirty years." So what's the, you know, what's the payback on the experience? And the reality is, it's not really they're doing it for the experience. It's they just don't want to stop. Is they just can't take themselves away from the market. Right. I think I look at it right now. I've just, for me, when I am looking at it, I'm trying to, I'm trying to frame it out in a way of how I would look at a standard day. Instead of looking at smaller time frame charts, I'm opening up, opening it up to four hour charts to at least slow that tape down a little bit for myself Um, because at least then I'm getting an idea of where my risk is when I get into a trade. I think if you're going to dabble, find a way to adjust this to what you know versus what we're seeing. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to dabble in this, the best thing to do is to scale into a position. 
is like you say, look at it a bit longer term, scan into position. But like, if you look at the full size ES, most people don't have the account sizes where they can scale into a position in a market like this. You know, maybe, um, you know, maybe on the micros, they, they can do it. Um, maybe, you know, one of the, one of the things that always struck me as really weird is the pattern day trader rule on the stock market. Um, futures are way riskier than stocks. If you're trading, if you're trading the, the ES, you know, you got that $50, um, $50 a point, right? If you traded the, the ETF SPY, which is the S&P 500 ETF, you can go into as small as one, one lot, one share. But you need a bigger account to do that. You need a $25,000 account to do that, uh, to trade that market in today. Um, and you can, but you can trade the S&P, which is much higher risk. And you can do that with a $1,000 account. And it just always struck me as really strange that, you know, with the granularity of stocks, they make the barrier so high to trade, day trade the stock market when actually you could really, really mitigate your risk. And I think that's one of the, the great things about the micros is that they help you to mitigate the risk. So you could, in theory, you know, if you were, you know, if you were saying, right, I, I think, you know, today we're going to got 50 points, you could buy um, a micro, uh, a micro ES. Uh, and then you could buy another one, five, ten points up, and then you could buy some more as it and get, get into a bigger position as it as it moved your way. Um, that's certainly. But again, to me, it's like, yeah, I could do all that, but it's just like it's not my market anyway. So I'm really kind of forcing myself to do something I I don't really need to do. Um, the wife's not bugging me for for money yet, <laughs> so you know. So it's like you know, I don't really. I think if you're a if you're a full-time trader and it's your only source of income and you're avoiding these markets, then obviously it's a concern. But really, this is this is just one of those things that you that's going to happen. And um, I think preservation of capital is more important than trying to make money at the moment. I couldn't agree more. The market, the this, this industry has shifted over the last twenty years or whatever. You know, you can go keep keep going back. It went from a point when I first started on, down on the floor. Our job was to create a market and get every single order possible, and then we'd find out, how do I make money? Okay, I just bought 500, five, six call spreads. What's my delta? Cover that. All right, I'm covered now. Made a little bit of money on the bonds. Now I can kind of – maybe I can get out of this position or I'll carry for to the end of the month because this is where I see it going. There's always a way, different ways to make money, and that was that was the old way. This new way, the term you said is the best way to look at it preserving capital. It's a lot easier right now to lose money than it is to make money. And if you're not preserving that capital, waiting for your market to show up, once your market shows up, you're going to be struggling with the capital that you have. And that's kind of something we always say here, top step trader. And it's kind of become, you know, something that I think about every single day is trade for tomorrow. If I don't see it today, don't push it today. Get out and rake some leaves. Yeah, because I think if once the market does, you know, if the market does calm down and start its march back up again, there's going to be some nice, easy days to the upside in, at the end of the day. <laughs> so they're going to be a lot of fun, you know. And all, but when it slows down, you know, anybody that's been watching this going up and down the way it is, when it slows down, it's going to be a lot easier to read as well. It is. We're going to see volume again. We're going to see liquidity, you know, decent numbers on the bid and offer. Right now, when you you look at it, and I keep thinking to myself, I'm like, gosh, are we in roll for a second? It's the first pop that cut thing that comes to my head. I'll look at it, and I'll go, 12 and 18 on the bid and offer? What is this? Okay, it must be in the wrong month. 
you know, I'm looking for something that I'm doing wrong. It's uh, it's gotten pretty wild. Yeah, it's insane. and I think I think the HFTs have got something to blame for it because I think, you know, with HFTs were were effectively market makers, but they they were they weren't obligated to make the markets, and I think they I think a lot of the real market makers got pushed out with HFTs. I mean, one of the things they always say about HFTs is that HFTs provide much needed liquidity. And I always thought, and I and I was agreed with that, and it, but it was always the caveat is they provide much needed liquidity until we need it, and then they can just stop. Whereas with a with a real market maker, there was some obligation to provide liquidity, and I think these kind of um, fair weather liquidity providers pushed out a few market makers, uh, and we're seeing a knock on effect. I don't know what would bring market makers back into the market. I think the CME's got some work to do uh, on that front to make it more attractive to pull them back. But I just, you know, I think, you know, with the macro picture being so uncertain, that won't start yet. But I think longer term, I think there's some repair that needs to be done to these markets um, to bring market makers in because they do serve a purpose. We need them. We definitely need them. When they're here, they at least create some stability within these markets. Absolutely. You know, you can, you can watch as soon as they, the computers, you can just watch the computers getting shut off. The faster this market goes, the faster it goes. And all these computers are designed all the systems were designed for this market is trending to the upside. So once we've adjusted, you know, gone into bear territory, all these companies have to decide, okay, is it worth our time to redesign programs for this current environment? Or is it better to just wait until it stabilizes and gets back to normal? Yeah. And it does, it certainly seems that it disappeared. I mean, there used to be a threshold of about 24, uh, 23, 24 on the VIX where the moment you got over that level, all the liquidity would disappear. So there was certainly, you know, going back, there was certainly like some thresholds on the VIX where they'd just all, all switch off. Um, but it, it is, it, we are lacking in market makers at the moment. But even so, with what's going on, I, I still don't think we'd see a lot of market makers around anyway. No, I think uh, they're they're not prepared for this either. I know a lot of guys that are, a lot of market makers from the uh, the options pits where I used to work, they're still stuck in positions. They cannot get out of their own positions. And so they're just taking, they already have accepted the fact that they're going to be losing money and they're probably going to be washed out and they still have to carry these positions. They have to trade themselves out of them. And then they have to go to the clearing firm and say, okay, here's my seat. You can hold that as collateral until I, uh, I can get the cash. Yeah, it's a tough position. I mean, back in 2008, a lot of market makers took a massive hit. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's just, but it's part of the game, right? And, um, but with the HFTs, like they can just come in and pretend to be, they can act like a market maker and then just switch off whenever they want. And, and, you know, that's, you know, that's what really causes the, the, the flash crashes is all, you know, liquidity being pulled more than anything else. Right. They turn those computers off. The thing goes fast and everyone hops on the sell side and just accelerates it to the downside. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Peter, I want to give you a minute here. We're kind of coming towards the end. For all those listening, can you just tell them where to find you guys and um, everything about uh, Last Little Shop for Jigsaw here? Yeah, um, if you're if you're interested in order flow trading, go to www.jigsawtrading.com or blog.jigsawtrading.com. There's loads of trade videos on there. If you go to the blog, you can search uh, for different types of instruments. But just have a look around in the videos. Uh, sign up for the free lessons. There's a lot of free educational stuff there. And just give you some insight into, you know, what order flow trading is all about. One of the things that does differentiate Jigsaw 
is we do actually work with a number of prop firms um, and we partner with a number of prop firms. So real prop firms, bricks and mortar prop firms with traders um, sitting down trading every day. Um, and so you also see a lot of content from professional traders on our site as well. So if you are interested, just go and have a look. Um, it might not change the way you trade, but at least you'll have learned about another aspect of trading um, if you don't already know about it. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, any last words of wisdom for uh, all the traders out there? Um, I would say the biggest thing for new guys is don't try to make trading fit you. Trading is what it is. It doesn't matter what you bring to the table from your career. It doesn't matter what you studied at school, right? If you're a pilot, you can't set up a dashboard. If you're a computer programmer, you can't code it. Um, you've got to take your lumps and learn what trading really is. The moment you try to make trading be like your skill set, you're going to stop progressing. You have to kind of just learn about what trading is and just kind of and, and accept it for what it is uh, and try and learn the skill. One of the things I see is people try to bend trading to what they know. And trading does not care what you knew before trading. It doesn't care what skills you have. It doesn't care if you can fly a plane. It just is what it is. And the sooner you kind of get into that and, and appreciate that and, and go with that, you will really progress. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for sitting down with us. Really do appreciate this. No and, problem. Uh, Hope you are staying safe and healthy over there and uh, keep washing your hands. All right, everybody. Thanks for uh, listening to Peter and I sit down. I had a really great time chatting with him, and I think he had some incredible insight for us. We have to be thinking about these markets, kind of creating that macro viewpoint. Where can these things go over time? How difficult day trading this market is because – Let's be honest, watching the volatility we have seen, seeing 1,000, 2,000 point moves kind of regularly um, make this really difficult. And a couple things that he said to me that just really resonated, understanding where your risk in these markets is, looking for those opportunities that um, you're going to at least be able to minimize that risk as best as possible. So uh, I really enjoyed it. And I uh, can't thank Peter enough for sitting down with us. And uh, hopefully he's... Uh, He's doing well right now. Yeah, that's great, Dan. And if you want some more analysis, we're starting a few other things here. We're going to be doing at 1130 each day, we'll be doing some top step quarantine diaries on our YouTube channel where you can ask one of us each day some questions, uh, sort of like stump the Schwab or whatever. And uh, we'll just kind of be there to chat with people if you want to. Um, we're kicking that off today. So hopefully it uh, catches on. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh our very own John Hoagland just went live uh, about a, 40 minutes ago, um, had some good engagement there. So make sure you come join us. Um, we're talking about everything. And what I love about this, this is kind of a chance for us to listen to you guys for your input because we, you see us, we're in the office every day. Uh, we don't work from home very often. And I know a lot of our listeners, a lot of our viewers out there work from home regularly. So I'm looking at you guys for some advice to help create a little sanity around uh, my work from home. Yeah, help us out. Um, I haven't worked from home in a while, and this is, you know, it takes me getting used to. We're also going to be uh, doing a video series, TBA. I guess we can't talk about that yet, but we'll let you know when it happens. We're still doing the market forecast in the morning and the market recap in the afternoon. Correct, Dan? That is correct. And um, Coach's Playbook will be back next week. It will be recorded. Um, so there won't be any live comments. So email in questions or anything you have. Um, we will be going uh, recording a coach's playbook next week. So I'm really excited to get that going again. 
Well, that's great. Well, uh, everybody out there, you know, be considerate with all this volatility. Be considerate with yourself. And in the meantime, try and enjoy the weekend at home as much as possible. Namaste and trade well. The Limit Up Podcast is produced by Dante32. Futures and Forex trading contain substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.